0: KEHI matters. Not only to impact the lives of our retail partners and suppliers, but to make a difference in our families, our communities, and even the world. Hello, my name is Adrienne Binder, and I'm your host for Fruit of Your Labor, a KEHI podcast. We aspire to update you on what's happening at KEHI and inspire you with the amazing stories of how you are working to make lives better. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to season four of Fruit of Your Labor. I'm excited for all the transformational stories we have lined up for this season, each reflecting on the goodness your daily work at Kehi helps to support. On today's episode, we'll be hearing from Michelle Dufresne, a VP of sales who actually just retired. She's going to share the story of her serving journey, which culminated with the very memorable plane flight that brought Cahey's values to life in a tangible way. Michelle, welcome back to the podcast because you've been here before.
1: Thanks, Adrian. It is great to be back. What an honor it is to sit here with you today.
0: Today, we're going to talk about your journey at Cahey. And first, I'd like to say congratulations on your recent retirement.
1: Thank you so much, I wouldn't say it's scary. I'm thrilled to death, but there is a little bit of apprehension because all this time and energy spent with the company doing the things that I've been doing, it's now what do I do? How do I redirect that?
0: Well, what an exciting time for you.
1: Absolutely.
0: Can you talk a little bit about your professional journey? How long did you work for KEHI and where did you start in the organization? And how did you go from there all the way to your VP of sales position?
1: Adrian, I've been with the company or was with the company for 30 years. Wow. Yeah, May 1 was my 30 year anniversary, and that was definitely a milestone to uh, reach. I started in accounting finance, and from there, I just progressed to the point where I was the VP of finance and corporate controller for Tree of Life when Kahey acquired us in 2010. And so that became the intersection with Kahey and had some various roles until Brandon reached out for me and said, hey, how would you like to be on the sales side? And I was like going, oh, my goodness, sales. That's a big change. (laughs) It was a huge change. and I definitely had not, I'd say, checked all those boxes that I thought needed to be a salesperson. And I uh, joined the publics and led the public sales team. And what a pivot for me professionally and what a fantastic uh, opportunity that was. And so I've been in the sales organization since 2000 and probably 11 and have just enjoyed it thoroughly. I love customer facing. I love our customers and, and working with our sales team.
0: I mean that's great that you had the opportunity, Akehi, to make such a significant transition from finance, which is very, you know, internally facing to sales, which is externally facing.
1: I'll be always grateful to Brandon and other leaders in the in the company that saw something in me about my skill sets or how I could translate what I was doing in the accounting and finance and move it over into the sales and had the confidence in me that I did not necessarily have.
0: I think that says a lot about leadership at Kehi and how they promote from within and, and look for strengths within employees.
1: I, I completely agree with that. I love our culture.
0: So let's talk a little bit about culture. Some employees at Cahy have gone on serving trips, and that's a very foundational aspect of Cahy's culture. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe the first serving trip that you went on at Cahy and how that affected
1: you? I did not know what to expect, Adrian. And in, in 2010, when Cahy acquired Tree, I was given the opportunity to go to that inaugural one that kind of like that baptism of uh, caravans that you would serve on. And that was to Laredo, Texas. And at that time, we were actually going across the border to Nuevo Laredo. End of October, early November was when we went. And it was why it was so pivotal for me was back in June of that same year, my mom passed away. So I had a lot of emotions and a lot of things I was thinking about as I was going to serve. And that was my first view of really, I'd say, significant poverty but what was even probably more eye-opening was the poverty was on our side of the border. You know, so when you're in Laredo, it says if you are in Mexico that you, it, you, there is no difference. There's not this, this clear line between us and, and uh, Mexico. It's just how could that happen in the U.S. event where there's such you know, plentiful uh, opportunities and things available? but not to them. So I I came back that November deeply moved. It's like thinking, how can I help? What can I, you know, what can I do? How does this change my my world here? And I remember on uh, Thanksgiving evening, after everybody had left the house and all the food was, you know, gone or taken with them, I went downtown, uh, St. Augustine, and I was hanging out there, with a bunch of homeless people. And, I, and it was really interesting and in having some conversation with them and just really talking to them just like anybody else would talk to somebody, realizing these people have places, they have families, they've had something happen dramatically that changed their, their lives, but they were very human people too and often and mostly overlooked. But it's just really again an eye opening for what's right around in our own in our own area. If you just open your eyes, there's so much, so much need here, and you can do something.
0: Do you think you would have done that on Thanksgiving had you not had the experience on
1: your Laredo serving trip? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like it was probably still kind of a, a weird thing to do, but it was just To go down there and to to give them a warm meal, you know, to walk them over and give them something that they didn't have access to and just to help out and just show a little kindness.
0: So what you just described, we sometimes call here at Kehi getting lit up. So you go on a serving trip and then you come back and you're lit up. What can I do now, what can I do next? And you just gave one example of what you did individually outside of Cahi. What was kind of the next step in your journey of getting lit up in serving at Cahi?
1: Well, I did have the opportunity to go to, on other uh, trips. And I've been to Guatemala, uh, Nepal, which was amazing, and Honduras. All of those had very unique aspects to it and things that spoke to me going to a, a country where you are not literate at all and can't really talk to have a conversation, but your actions and what you saw in response were how grateful people were and how thankful people were that you would travel across the world to spend some time with them. And I'm like, going, I'm just showing up. And that's, you know, that's what they were so happy about that they were being loved on by people just, taking the time out of their world. And I felt at times just like, that's it. That's all I need, all I need to do for them. And I felt like that's just such a little thing, but how meaningful it was for them.
0: What perspective?
1: I think Paul Reichart, who helps lead some of our trips, he said, it will forever change the lens through which you look at in poverty and people within the U.S. or internationally. And it has.
0: I want to build on that a little bit because you, you just mentioned it. In what ways has your empathy and care for others developed over your time at KEHI and based on these serving experiences that you've had?
1: That's an excellent question, Adrian, And I think part of it is that people are, are often born into a culture uh, like in Nepal, just by being born female puts you in a certain cast. It wasn't a choice that they made. And the struggles that are real in that, in that country for women and where there isn't, there isn't anything that they can do. It's not a thing about feeling sorry for, but it's really finding a compassionate way to help people that have gone through difficult experiences or whether they're born into that way. Biases that I probably have had. It has, I'd say, changed how I look at how people perhaps get into a situation.
0: So, you recently had a very impactful experience on a flight home. Can you tell us a little bit about that story?
1: This is an almost unexplainable event, and it's also something that continues. So I was traveling back from Washington, D.C., decided to take an earlier flight. The schedule had changed and got to Atlanta, no problem. But Atlanta, back to Jacksonville, the flights are packed, absolutely packed. There was nothing available. So it was either I'm going to get home at 11 o'clock or maybe I could catch something earlier. And after about two or three different flights, that no, nothing available, I'm standing there in the gate and I'm number 20 on the list right? So if you had 20, you don't have a chance. Well, all, and i literally, all of a sudden, I went from 20 to number five. I was like, I've got a chance. This is going to be awesome. But as I'm standing there in the gate, I, I did notice this, this small family of a male, female, and three small girls, and they were kind of huddled together. They looked tired, looked exhausted, actually, and they were definitely not speaking any English. And I was just kind of watching as, figure out whether I'm going to get on board or not. And I could see that he was wearing a hat that had blue and yellow on the hat. And I was like, gosh, that looks, I wonder, I wonder if they're from Ukraine. So I end up getting on the plane. I'm the last ticketed person to get us a seat. I'm on the next to the last row and following down the aisle is this family. And they end up in the very back row right behind me. and they. Throughout uh, a little bit of just trying to to converse with them a little bit because they caught my eye. They spoke very little English, but yes, they were from from Ukraine. And uh, we take off, and their middle girl, she was very active. So she was like up and down the aisles, and there, all I could hear was Marsha, 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 and all <laughs> I could think was Brady Bunch, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> You know, but she, we, we'd we be playing peekaboo and we were having a great time. And as we're getting ready to land, uh, the flight attendant comes across and says, hey, we have a very special family on board, a special guest. They escaped from Ukraine last night, basically in the middle of the night. And they are here in the States basically with a clothes on their back. This is not Delta sanctioned, but if anybody would like to give a donation, we would love to be able to, to give that to the family. I heard that. I was just like, oh, my goodness. I never carried cash with me, but I had cash with me. And it was like I was whipping it out of my wall and I handed it back, actually, because I was right there. I handed it to him and he was like, thank you. know He could say thank you. And I learned enough to know that that night in Jacksonville, they had somebody that was meeting them. I left the plane and I tried to hang out like in the baggage area to see where I could see them again, just kind of, I wouldn't say like the mother hen or something like just like if there was something that maybe they needed. And I never saw them. So literally, they did not come with any luggage. They came with the backpack that they had on on them. And I never saw. them. So for the next several weeks, I could not get that family out of my head. And I would wake up in the middle of the night. And I would pray for that little girl. Now I pray for that family because it's just like I can't imagine coming into a country where you just don't know anybody. You don't speak the language and you've left literally everything back in Ukraine. Fast forward about three or four weeks. I had a car appointment and I know this sounds crazy. And like, how does this even relate to the story? Had a car appointment, supposed to go in there. They were going to give me a car and I'd leave. They botched the appointment. They didn't have me on the books. There's a lot of, you know, scattering around, trying to figure out what they're going to do with me. And lo and behold, I get the newbie. I get the new service advisor that knows nothing. And <laughs> I'm on a schedule here, folks. I like, got to go, you know. So to make a long story short, I'm in there for at least an hour and a half while they're trying to figure out whether they can service my car or not, get me a rental car or give me some type of a car. Uh, the rental car place doesn't come and pick me up like they said, and I'm just about, you know, the cartoon where the steam's coming out of uh-huh. ears. like I'm just sitting there like that. And it is, it was a tough not to absolutely just lose it on somebody. I finally get down to the rental car place and that place is crazy. But the guy that's going to rent me the car, he goes, I'll be right back. I have to go clean it. Okay, guy behind the counter, now he's going out there to clean the car because they fired everybody that day. And like I said, the story just kind of gets crazy. But as I'm sitting there in, in the rental car place, now I'm two and a half hours in, fuming. And as I'm sitting there, door opens, in comes his family. I look up and I went, you, you're the Ukrainian family from the plane. And they look at me and they go, yeah. And Adrian, at that very moment, I knew exactly why I needed to be there and why all that had happened from the plane, you know, the standby, bad service and the, the dealership to being there in a rental place. I wasn't even supposed to be there. And this family walks in. Wow. And they were there to try and, and rent a car at $2,000 a week. And it's like, so they walked away with no car. And I'm trying to, to talk with the person that they were with that doesn't speak English. And they had a, a teenage grandson there that did a little bit of translating. So I managed to get two cell numbers, a name, and cash app. So I got in, got in the car and drove off and pulled over because I had a Zoom meeting. <laughs> <laughs> And as fast as I could possibly do that, I sent them some money to help. And they were very, very, very grateful for that. And over the holidays, we would text back and forth here and there. And it's just like, I didn't know whether I would see them again, but we connected and I took them to lunch in January to hear a little bit more about their story. They lived in Kiev. And they said when the war came outside of their window, they had to leave. And they can't go back now, or they, they, they're not going to go back because there's nothing left. You've seen the pictures, that, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's rubble. So they're trying to find their way into staying here in the United States. But also, we've just started our church, and English has a second language program, which we started having that conversation. And I signed up to be an instructor, even before I knew about this Ukrainian family. And so I invited them to participate and they've signed up.
0: That's awesome.
1: So now we've got a regular contact point with this family. I have no idea where this is going to go, but there is more of them and there's more opportunity, I know, in this area to help.
0: That's such an amazing story. I mean, you all those events that just had to line up perfectly for you to be in the right spot at the right time,
1: more than once. More than once, more than once. So there's a reason. I, I believe that that was inspired by God. I truly believe that that's my, uh, some people go like all the stars aligned and, you know, there's just fate, but I believe that was very, something that was very special. And I was thankful to, to be there and to be open.
0: What have you learned from this experience or how has it changed you?
1: I feel like all these, all these different serving events and opportunities to get outside of yourself and to show up for people and just keep your eyes open. It's the willingness is the first step.
0: Yeah. I mean, you don't have to have a grand plan. You don't have to make a grand gesture just showing up and being relational.
1: That's right. That's absolutely right.
0: So Michelle, as you step into retirement, how have these lessons and experiences from the last 30 years at KEHI helped prepare you for what's next?
1: I feel like I certainly have gotten more out of the company than I've put into the company. I mean, there's nothing better than your everyday work mattered to somebody else. In the in how we are 10% of our profits go back to serve and to be reinvested in people's lives. To me, it's like, how can I take that practice and turn that into a physical thing for me to do? It's more than money, it's more than tithing, it's more than giving a, a, a family some dollars. It's how can I now invest in people's lives to make a difference? That's what I've learned in, in my 30 years.
0: Michelle, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast episode and for sharing your amazing stories and the story of your journey through Kehi.
1: Thanks, Adrienne. I know the journey is going to
0: continue. To our Kehi employees, check out the opportunities to serve through Kehi Cares or your local community and see how you can get lit up.